it should always be and this guy you know i just want to say hey if you come for trunk or treat if you want to dress up yes you can i yeah you can i feel like i want mario i don't know where's mario is he here i want him to be elvis for some reason i feel like da -na, da -na. no i'm just but uh, no scary stuff. We don't believe in that. We know that that's uh, a, a thin veil for uh, demonic activity. We don't want to do that. But we do want to give kids candy. Who doesn't like candy, right? So uh, we are baptizing today. We're going to enjoy and celebrate a baptism today. I want to just say something brief. Uh, Mark has been a, a really um, a, a wonderful uh, young man that I have uh, really grown to appreciate. And uh, right from the very beginning, he would come here. And he would sit in the back all by himself, and he would kind of do one of these numbers a lot of times. And he would look around, and he was very serious. And then as I got to know him better, he, is, he has impressed me every single time. And I think one of the things that impresses me is that salvation is so clearly not man-made. There's no way that a man could produce that. There's, you could start it. You could run a little bit, but there's no way it's going to go the distance and have the power that it has. So um, let's open up our Bibles to the book of um, uh, Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to pray. Father God, I, um, I'm grateful, grateful for this morning. I'm grateful for this day. I'm grateful for the feelings of uh, euphoria. I feel euphoric. I feel so confident right now. Um, sometimes I don't always feel super confident. Sometimes I don't always feel good. Sometimes I want to run away. I want to hide. But today I feel good. And, Lord God, I, I want to just thank you. I want to thank you for the times I feel good and you feel good. But I also want to thank you for uh, the times that we don't feel good. Because you know what? No matter how we feel, you don't change. No matter what, nothing changes you or your disposition or your commitment. And, Lord God, you've been working on perfecting your plan since the day of creation. It was written before and it will continue unto its perfection. And all those who you have called will come and they will be saved, Lord God. So, Lord, we just want to cooperate and we want to celebrate. Just like the children of Israel, release my people so that they can go out into the desert and worship me. So, please, Lord God, lead us in that place where we can live that life of worship. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, chapter 12, verse 1, Exodus. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th of, of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with each person's need and they, what they will eat. The animals you choose must be one-year-old males without defect. Uh, you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them. When he says to take care of them, that means he's like, bring them into the house. I just want you to think about that for a minute. Um, right. You're like, yikes. Uh, but when, when he directs them to sacrifice that lamb, remember, those kids, they've taken care of that lamb every single day. It's like a part of the family at this point, right? Kind of a crazy thing. All right, the animals you choose must be one-year-old males without defect, and you take them from the sheep or the goats, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all of the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood, put it onto the sides and tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the lamb. The same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over a fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any part till the morning. If there's some left till the morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, 
and your staffs in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. I have truly on that same night, I will pass through Egypt, and I will strike down every firstborn from both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all, uh, on all of the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for, uh, for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's why it's called the Passover. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival unto the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, and whoever eats anything with yeast in it uh, from the first day to the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, a sacred assembly, and another on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare the food everyone is to eat that, so that you may do this. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread because it was on this day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for all the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat the bread without yeast and from evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses, and whoever eats anything with yeast must be cut off from Israel, from the community, whether he is an alien or native. That means you're to go outside. That doesn't, it's not a forever thing. It's like you go outside, and you have to be cut off. It, it doesn't make sense to us, but in the light of who Christ is, these are great symbols, and maybe one day we can work through this, because everything points to the cross. Everything points to Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us. Then Moses summoned all the elders of the people and said to them, Go at once, select an animal from your family, slaughter them, uh, slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood, into the basin, and cut some, put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out uh, of the door of his house until the morning when the Lord goes through the land and he strikes down the Egyptians. You will see the he will see the blood on the tops and on the sides of the door frames, and he will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter into your house and take you by night. Obey these instructions, these lasting coordinates with you and your descendants. When you enter into the land, the Lord will give you as a promise. Observe this ceremony, and when, you, when your children ask, what does this ceremony mean? Tell them, this is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses, of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to tell them. And at midnight, the Lord struck down the firstborn of Egypt and the firstborn of Pharaoh. Uh, can you imagine that next morning, what that must have been like? Could you imagine that in our day and age when the firstborn of every house would die overnight? Would there be any block that would not be affected. I can almost see it in my mind where you kind of go out in the morning and nothing happened to you and all these houses, people are coming out and they're all shaking and then they see one another and there, there would be like this, this congregation of weeping. And it's like, wow, this is crazy. Also, there's a tendency for human beings when they hear this to push away from God. There is. They're like, that doesn't seem godly. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. All right. Last part, verse 30. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night. And there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not one house without someone who was hurt. And it's tough to hear. I want to just say this. Preaching the Exodus or preaching through the Exodus, I'm not, you guys have heard me enough now. I'm not a gifted teacher. I'm not a scholar. I literally just tell you what he shows me. But you know what, though, he reminds me? That's enough. He's like, I, I, didn't, I didn't pick you because you were talented. Can I say something? That's a message to you as well. God doesn't pick you because you have some kind of skill that he needs. He's like, geez, I really need this, so I'm going to pick that guy. No, he's like, I really got to get that guy on my team. That's never what God says. He never says that. As a matter of fact, what I believe is, by reading the scripture, he looks around and he goes, that's the least likely guy 
than any mortal could. And I'm going to prove I can do anything with anyone. And can I tell you something? For someone unremarkable like myself, that's pretty encouraging. You know? So I want to say this. Uh, I'm ruffling a few feathers with this. Last week I talked about how God wages war against idols. That wasn't just 4,800 years ago. That's been happening every single day. Problem is, the altar for idols are right here. I want to tell you a little bit about idols just briefly. An idol really, as I see it, it's not, it's not the religion that we think it is. It's actually a kind of a faux religion. It's me seeing this and saying, you can give me this, so I'll give you what you require so that you can do what I want. That's idolatry. So if you think about it, idolatry is really not me worshiping anybody. It's me giving them a payoff so they can worship me. So idols really are right here. That's always been the case since the very beginning. So I got accused. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't want to say I was accused. I, I just, what was kind of accusing? So a couple weeks ago, I said things were going to change, and this person says, oh, my gosh, this is an end times cult. You're an end times preacher cult. And I'm like, well, I don't <laughs> we're all living in the end times. I know it's a pretty big leap. And then I preached on idols, and there was a guy that's been coming uh, for a long time, not here, at the other place. He was so insulted. He told his wife, I'm never coming back. This guy insulted me, this and that. Why? I can tell you why. Because the Lord reached over and went like this. And he went, oh, oh, get your hands off it. You know, Can I just say this just as a brief point? As I thought through this, because these things kill someone who has a self-esteem issue, you know, there's an emptiness inside of me that won't go away even though I know God picked me and loves me and chose me. It's crazy. When these things happen, I feel rejection hard and it just sits in my mind and I play games with it and I rehearse it and I think it through. But I can't waver. I just can't waver. I have to say what God is telling me to say. I can't. I just can't. I Listen, I have no desire to, but there's something inside of me that says, man, you just can't do that. But I want to say this. Um, if you're not hearing something that makes you uneasy, there's a very good chance you're not hearing the Lord. As you read, those first four books of the New Testament, it becomes real clear right away that Jesus made people uncomfortable and he pushed it to the point to where either they caved, followed, or they said, I'm done. Every time. Even so much so that the guys around him, the best guys were like, this is not the way to build a kingdom. You're not doing it. It's kind of the opposite way. Can't you just play ball? And he's like, no, I didn't come to give them what they want. I came to give them what they need. And sometimes the truth is, if we have spiritual cancer, if a good doctor is going to be a good doctor, he has to say, you have cancer. Geez, doc, you really hurt my feelings and ruined my weekend. Yes, but I have the cure and you won't die. So remember that. Remember that. So... I want to say this. This is the week where we see God's revelation that he's the one who initiates. He's been initiating from the very beginning, and he's still initiating now. Nobody starts the conversation. He starts it. And not only that, he's the one who brings provision. So we see him as an initiator, and we see him as someone who brings our provisions. I want to say this, only God can open the eyes to see who he is. I, you, we, I'm convinced of it, do not have the power to see him as he truly is. Something about his nature and my nature are juxtaposed to one another. I like authority. Anybody else with me on that camp? I like control. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? Just get in the car with someone driving you don't trust. <laughs> you know, you'll know what I'm talking about. 
I like to be in control. Mankind does not have inherent power to see God by himself. He, God, has only the ability to open my eyes. That's conversion. There's a big debate. The prayer of salvation, got no problem with it. But unless the heart is converted by the Spirit, you could pray that prayer a thousand times a day and there will be no transformation in your heart. So I want to say this. Religion, because of this statement, religion, in my opinion, is not man's attempt to find God as we like to believe it is. I believe religion, which is always an attractive alternative to salvation, is man's attempt to strike a deal with God in hopes to control or to retain at least 50-50 partnership authority with God. It is the main tenet of religion, and it's this. I know that you are powerful. I know that you created all things, but I'd like to keep the lion's share of my own authority. I want to be my own greatest influencer. So can we be partners? That's what happened with Nicodemus. Nicodemus come to Jesus in the middle of the night. He's like, hey, I know you're with God. I can see you're with God. It's clear you're with God. So what do you say we start a relationship of where we could kind of like start this friendship or partnership? And what does Jesus say? He gives him to talk to the hand. He's like, talk to the hand. Because what you just told me is that your eyes are not open. We don't start partnerships with God. We must surrender to God. You don't give your heart to God. You must receive from God in order to surrender your life to God. You see the difference? So some people say, are you ready to give your heart to God? Great. You just don't have the steam to get it done. Jesus says, I've come to save those who are lost. I got to say, yes, I'm lost. Yes, I need a savior. Yes, I can't do this on my own. I'll confess it to the world. Jesus, I need you. Now I'm going to be a partner with you. He's like, okay, tell me when you need me. I'll come back. So remember those things. Remember those things. Saving belief is really uh, agreeing that God is both essential, where he lets me know I cannot live without him. I can't. It's also him opening my eyes and me agreeing with the fact that he's preeminent. That means he's above and before. That challenges that authority thing in my life. Because if you're like me, I want life to be about me. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Man, isn't that the source of every problem in the universe? Because I really want it to be my way. I'm cool with partnerships as long as we can both have our own way. Uh, guess what? It, it, it doesn't work with God. And then when we accept the fact and agree that he's essential and preeminent, I surrender to his authority. That will mean that True saving faith will always manifest itself into a consistent direction of living. This is where I want to encourage. When we read the Old Testament, it, it's been beating me up. Because I'm like, I'm in big trouble. I can't take it. God is holy and I am really in need of, of mercy, right? Because I realize even if I give him 10, he, he deserves 20. If I give him five, he deserves 10. If I went 10 steps, he, I should have gave him 20. I'm just being honest. When you see him for who he really is, you're like, can there really be anything I could give you that you're going to go, great job, well done. But once again, once you receive that mercy, when you receive that mercy, it's like a father with a kid on Father's Day. How many fathers are here? Have you ever really gotten a good Father's Day gift where your kids are little? No, you get those crazy ties, pens, or cups. But they're cherished. Why? Most likely, you're the one who gave them the money to buy it. Right? But when they bring it, they're bringing it because they love you. That's the gift. 
that's what God wants. He wants us to follow him, to be obedient to him, to truly be in family business with him because we love him. Man, that takes it down. So you know what that tells me? That my repentance will never be perfect on this, on this world. As long as I'm breathing between these two lips, I will always be in need of greater repentance. But he has given mercy. He desires mercy. That means he's willing to endure, to persevere. And that means every morning, one of the things he keeps ringing in my ears, my mercies are new every morning. Don't hide, confess. Confess, 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 confess. I need you, I've sinned. Be honest, be open. Say, I've done this. Don't skim over it. Confess it, bring it out, say, I don't know why I think this way. I don't know why I desire these things. I don't know what to do with it. I know what's true, I know what's good, I know what's right, and I still can't do it. I need you to give me what I need. Only you can give it. I want you to remember that. It's about direction, and it's about his mercy over anything else. So let's write these things down. And if they're going to come up on the sheet, they're going to come up on this. Um, it's good for you to remember as you're praying, as you're thinking during the week, because Christianity is not a passive endeavor. Anyone who tells you, let go and let God, yet are telling you half the story. Let go, trust God, and then do with the most with what you've been given. That's what really salvation really is. So God reveals himself to be a person, yes, a person who sees our struggle. One of the problems with seeing, I can't stay here too long, is being in struggle is it gives you this idea you're the only one who's ever dealt with this. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Something dramatic happens, you're like, ain't nobody fixed this. There's just no way that I am on my own. I can't get rid of it, can't deal with it, I don't know, can't tell you, you can't understand. And there's part of that that's absolutely true. You know that, right? You can tell me your pain. Listen, I could sympathize. I could cry with you. I've never felt it. And you can't feel mine. Oh, but Christ can. No, no, no. He can in a way to go, yeah, I suffered this on this day for you. I shared your pain. You're sharing my pain. That's different. That's different. So I want you to remember that. God is one who's revealed himself so far as someone who sees our struggle. He has compassion on our lives. That means he's willing to enter in. Don't keep him at a distance. Every good thing comes from him saying, come and us saying, okay. Okay. Why do we complicate it? You want fruit? Just come in. Come in as much as you can. 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, I don't care, come in, over and over. Here's another one. He's the one who calls us out of willful slavery. Remember, many of the things that we are enslaved to are decisions of the will. There are people struggling with fear and anxiety, depression, yes, even depression, and I'm speaking from experience, that's willfully enslaved. That means I romanticize it. Man, I've had people try to pull me out of places and I resisted. Why? Because I need salvation. <laughs> it's just a simple thing, right? So here's another thing. He calls me out from willful slavery. He calls me out from chaos, which is really what happens when I live in slavery. And he calls me to order. That means there's going to be boundaries. There's going to be steps. There's going to be order. Things are going to actually come in succession the way they should. That means I have to understand it's not my time and it's not my way. It's his way. You understand? The blessings are from his thoughts and feelings and mercy toward us, but they bear fruit when I believe and follow. That's what Romans chapter 12 says. Trust and obey. Give yourself fully over to him. Then you will know by doing his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Man, I can't forgive this person. No, tell the truth. I won't forgive this person. Why? They stole from me. 
They made me feel stupid. They made me feel unwanted. They made me feel weak. They made me feel unloved. They abandoned me. They abused me. They cheated me. I won't let them go. And you suffer. And everyone around you does too. God says, come here. Forgive them. And then when you're tempted to pick it back up and go back and see it, come see it again. Give it over. And you pick it up again. You're okay. Why? You know why? Because he looks you square in the eye and says, I only cared for one person on this earth, and it was you, I still would have done it. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Because I know it's true. I know it's true. He's a God who calls us to stability, who calls us to eternal freedom, which means there's health, not only for me, for everyone connected to me. There's true prosperity. And sometimes that looks so different than what the world tells us is prosperous. Remember what God said? He goes, who was it who made your sandals survive? You didn't fall apart. You were in the desert for 40 years. You didn't have to find new sandals. Your clothes never wore out. Why? Because I made them last. When you needed water, I gave you water. When you needed bread, I gave you bread. When you wanted meat, I gave you meat. I took care of you. Why? We also saw last week a God who violently fights against anyone or anything that steals the devotion and affection that's intended for him. This is where God is now opening our eyes to see him as the initiator and the provider of what is good. Okay, so as we heard, the provision God brings is initiated by the last plague. And what is the last plague? And this is going to be brief. He wages war against the heart of rebellious man. Pharaoh is the perfect representation of someone who says, I am the captain of my own life. See this success? It was me who did it. I worked for it. I keep it. It's mine. And God says, no, you didn't. I gave you this opportunity. All those provisions I did. All I want you to do is recognize it. Just start with recognition. We'll go from there. And he said, nope, won't do it. And you know what God did? He said, okay, then you'll kill every generation that comes after you. He doesn't kill you. He kills the ones after you. That's a warning. That's the fate of everyone as a human who resists the worship that God wants. It's a death strike. His provision starts after this plague. Israel is exploited. They've been exploited for probably 400 years. Their labor has been taken. They've been given pennies on the dollar, cheated in all their dealings, and now God's like, all right, it's over. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finally break the back of the resistant uh, reprobate mind, and I'm going to set you free. And you know what he says? Before you do that, Moses, tell the people to go all to the Egyptian neighbors and tell them to give us your silver plates, cups, and dishes. Why? Well, because I'll tell you why. You can't cheat the system. That's a warning for us all. Every warning. I'll tell it to everybody. You cannot cheat the system, Pilgrim. You can't. You're walking through. You think you're going to get around God, you won't get around God. Give me, give me, oh, I can give you a great example of this. Israel was told to give back the land after a period of time when people lost it. So you could take it, you could use it, you could benefit from it if I dug you out of a financial hole. But then after a period of time, I was supposed to give you back a portion, back to you. Well, the people who got the land, they didn't do it, and they had no intention of doing it. God kept going, you better give that land back. You better give that land back. They're like, you're not hearing it. Until God said, all right, time's up. Now I'm going to bring you into captivity. You know how long he took Israel into captivity? 70 years. Do you know how much time they stole from God by not giving that land back? 70 years. He was like, you should have given it to me back when I asked you. Now you're going to have to pay it all up at once. Reminds me of when I was in fifth grade. Miss Wozniki, Ann Wozniki. We had 18 book reports. Super easy, right? All I had to do was read. She just wanted me to read. I'm like, I'm not reading. <laughs> Why? Too lazy. 
I just, yeah, I said, yeah. I thought I was too smart, and that was just lazy. She goes, write those book reports. First one came in, second one came in, third one, no, not. She never said nothing. I'm like, maybe she forgot. Three weeks, four weeks, no word. Seven weeks, eight weeks. The last week of school, she, she goes like this, all right, here's your last grades, here's all your things. Mr. Fitzmorris, you owe me 16 book reports. And I said, <laughs> but I've got two days of school. She goes, you better get to reading. So what did I do? You ain't going to catch me, old lady. So I run away from her on the last day of school. Lo and behold, who's waiting next to my mother on the couch? <laughs> Miss Wozniki. I walk in, I'm like, ah. She goes, Tom, I'm so glad to see you. She's like, my mom goes, isn't it great? She came to visit us. I haven't seen her in years. And I'm like, it's great. And she goes, yeah, Claudette, I got bad news. Your son owes me 16 book reports. He's known it forever. He's kind of cheated. She goes, what? I'm like, oh, now I'm really panicked. And then my mother goes, well, you know what? Get this through your head. I'm not going to hurt you. You're going to read every word in these books. And I'm going to pick the books. So she went with me. You know what my summer consisted of? Reading books. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Can I tell you something? That's the system that God has put into place. Either I love my wife, either I do good, seeking justice, loving mercy, or I will reap bad things into my life. That's just the way it goes. No cheating it, no running around it. God lets us know that. It's a great revelation. You know why? Because he's a father. Any good father always holds his kids accountable. You know what I realized right from the beginning? He doesn't promise us an easier life. He promises us a harder life. But he says, in the end, you'll look back and go, you know, you really were right to do it this way. So I just want to say this. The Egyptians, they're sick and tired of the disasters, the plagues. And they're like, just take what you want and go. I want to read for you something. Uh, it's, a for, it's a foretent. It's an omen. It's a prophecy about Christ. It's in the book of Joel. Um, don't go there. I'll, I'll just read it. It's in chapter 2, verse 25. He's seeing as they're going into judgment. He's like, Joel, tell them they're going into judgment. There's nothing they can do anymore. It's judgment now. It's going to be real hard. They're going to be separated. It's going to be real terrible. So they go and do it. And then he goes, but listen. Look forward. See that little, right there, that light? This is the light that I'm going to bring about. No matter what, I'm going to bring it about. And it goes like this. He goes, the day will come when I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. The day of the great locusts and the young locusts and the other locusts that swarm. My great army that I sent to eat your stuff. They went in it the wrong way. They loved the seeds that were wrong. They held on to stuff that could be taken. And God said, okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. And you will praise the name of the Lord who has worked wonders for you. Again, you will be my people and you will have no more shame. He's saying there's coming a time when everything that you've lost will be returned to you. Here's the fulfillment of it. It's in the book of Ephesians, my favorite New Testament book. It's the thing that really revolutionized my way of thinking. What time is it? I got 10 minutes. Uh-oh. All right, Ephesians. I got a lot of stuff to say today, but that's no different, right? All right, listen to this. Paul speaking, he goes, to the saints in Ephesus, to the faithful who are in Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from a God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his life, in, in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Christ Jesus in accordance with his good pleasure and will. He has lavished lavished on us all the blessings of heaven. Now, I don't always feel it. You will. Sometimes you get a blessing and you don't even know it's a blessing. Sometimes all the goodness comes to you and you got to age a little bit before you realize it. Give you a perfect example. When I was a kid, we didn't have a whole lot of money. Every Sunday, my mother would make a, a meal. One of the meals she used to make every now and again was roast beef, but it wasn't really roast beef. I don't know what it was. 
It was some kind of cut of meat. Maybe it was the dog down the street. I'm not sure. But I'd get it, and I'd be like, ah. And my mother would go, what's wrong with you? And i go, not this again. And she was going to kill me. And my dad's like, all right, all right, take it easy. And then I realized later when I was, I was 40 years old, I had it again at my mother's house. And I was like, this is so good. And she goes, huh? You hated this when you were a kid. I'm like, I don't know why. She goes, you were too lazy to chew it. That's why. I had to learn through age. Sometimes those blessings, when it says he lavished it on us with all wisdom, that means he's given it to us. It's in our account. It's ours. Never to be taken away. Can't be ruined. Can't be stolen. Can't forfeit. But you won't know its fullness until you age into it. Do you understand? So if you've received anything in Christ right now, you think this is great? Wait. Wait for 25 years. Wait for 30 years. Don't run away. Stay. Only the idiot, and I'll say it, the idiot, not pastorly, but true, runs away. They run away from God because he's lavished upon us all these good things. All right. So God, we see, provides for uh, his people a road in the middle of a great sea, the Gulf of Aqaba. Could you put this thing up right here? The sign, the map, it just comes up. This is really crazy good. All right, so here it is. So for years and years, they're like, okay, this is uh, uh, something we know, we believe to be true, but archaeologists, scientists, scholars for years and years are like, yeah, it's probably just origin myth, and I'll tell you why. Because as they kind of did the biblical, used the biblical record, they go, okay, this is the city, this is the city, this is the place they went. They assumed that the people would pass over at a place called the Strait of Tiran. Okay, problem is, straight down the center here, it goes 5,500 feet. That's over two times the size of the depth of the Grand Canyon. They're like, it's impossible. 2.5 million people could have never gone into that trench and through the other side, it's an impossibility. <laughs> Until a team of scientists started to explore the anomaly of Israel. Israel is a sign. It's God saying, everything I said is absolutely true. And you can't figure these people out. There's no reason they should still be around. So they went over there in 2006, and because they couldn't do it because of Egypt not being doing it in Saudi Arabia because of religious reasons, they really kind of had to do it kind of undercover. They started to look around and looked at the, the thing, and they were like, well, wait a minute. It doesn't necessarily mean they went this way. Maybe they went this way through these mountains and came to this place. Lo and behold, they find it. It was called the Nuibia Beach Shelf. That means that God put a 10 by 10 by 10 mile, no, almost 11, 10.9 square miles of beach that erodes into and fills this 5,000 foot gully all the way to the other side at Mount Sinai in Arabia. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Is that evidence? To some it is, but <laughs> to others, no matter how much evidence you give them, they'll never believe it. This is all origin myth. But I want to just say this. They found that God could provide, well, I found that God can provide a way of escape through anything. And one of the things is that I have a struggle with is because I say I believe, but I don't. Right? You say you believe, but you're like, but I need to see. And it's like, well, seeing and believing are two different things. Just trust me on this. Well, guess what? If you keep believing, he does show you ways. Two examples. I can remember I came into out of my dis uh, dysfunction, my alcoholism, $65,000 in personal debt, at least credit card debt. I was an addict. Crazy. You don't get out. You go in $10,000, you don't get out for 40 years. We're trapped. I mean, trapped upon trapped upon trapped. God teaches me this is not what you want. We start to amend our finances, but we're still under the weight of this crushing thing. Someone says to us, well, file bankruptcy. We start praying about it. <laughs> so we wait, pray. I remember I cried. I was on 14th Avenue. I was crying. I'm like, they can't do this anymore. 
Sure enough, my wife calls me up the very next day, and she says, hey, I called the credit card company. They said, if you're willing to close these accounts, we'll allow you to pay back the loan by itself without interest, but this is going to affect your credit rating for quite some time. Well, guess what? Five years, we came up with a five-year plan to get us out of $65,000 debt. You know how long we got out of it? Three years. You know what was an amazing aspect of that? We never missed a birthday. We went on vacations. We never, ever didn't buy abundant Christmas gifts. We celebrated days. We had barbecues. We never missed anything. My wife, at points, literally only had $15 in our budget for food. Look at me. Did I ever look like I missed a meal? Man, I'm telling you, he will provide a way. When I trust in my circumstances and I worry and I let these things overwhelm me and crush me and keep me isolated from God, what I'm truly saying is to him, I don't believe you. You're not strong enough. You're not able enough. Remember, he can provide a way through places there no one else can get you through. Remember what he did through Jesus Christ. I'm going to go to that really quickly uh, in a bit. But Jesus is the great provision that he's provided. But he provides, just think about this. How many times did God provide a way for you to escape before you even recognized that he was there? How many? I was an addict. I was an addict. I, I, I was crazy. And he provided safety. He provided ways of home. I was one time in a drug house on, on Flournoy Street, surrounded by black gangsters. And we're looking at me, licking their chops, thinking, what is this 20-year-old white kid doing? Why don't we just steal his watch and kill him? But I had a nice watch. I had good shoes on. They were look. Did I die? No, no one laid a hand on me. <laughs> God loves me. That's the only reason I can say, does he love you? Will he provide a way for you? Is he watching out for you? Yes! Say it over and over and over again. And you know who you need to preach that to? You! Preach it to you! Has he ever deserted you? Has he ever let you down? Has he said no? Sure. But sometimes when he says no, it's for your own good. Just the truth. All right, let's keep moving. So what is this revelation? God is willing and he is able to provide ways of getting us through desperate and difficult situations. God has demonstrated this to us hundreds of times. Faith is built by stress and pressure over extended periods of time. Let me, know, let me tell you this. This is an eternal principle. No stress, no pressure, no waiting, no sanctification, no beautification. Want to look like Christ? You got to go through the process. No process, you don't look like Christ. So don't listen to Joel Osteen. I'm telling you. I'm sorry. There's a lot of guys who are going to tell you lots of stuff. Well, that's not right. That's divisive. I'll say what it is. And how did God provide for us the greatest provision? Here it is. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God. That means he did it for you. And what he did, no one can ruin. Can't lose. So God gets his people across the impassable and impassable divide and he shepherds them to the promised land. What is the heaven? What is the promised land? That's where we want to live. It's heaven coming to earth. It doesn't mean there's no struggles because there is struggles. It doesn't mean there's no conflicts because there is conflict. It doesn't mean there's no uh, uh, pain. Yes, there is pain. People died in the promised land, but he got them there. He provided, he sustained them. That's where we're at, even though he hasn't completed or perfected his work yet. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, I got, I got to give it to you. So here we go. So what does he do? He provides water from the desert. One of the things I know is sand does not give water, but he does it. Water is rare to find in the desert. Water is an essential for life. It is necessary for health. It is necessary for energy. God promises to meet our daily needs, to be honest, like my friend uh, uh, Evan used to say, he provides everything I need and most of what I need. Isn't that true? Any up? Oh, okay. All right. I want to give you this one last nugget. Water isn't just liquid. It's a symbol. 
It's the symbol of God's presence. The spirit of Christ that is alive in us. It is the scripture that speaks to us. That's his water. What does this have the ability to do? It has the ability to heal. There's people that I spoke to today that things are deeply injured. And if they come to me by the grace of Christ, being led by the Spirit, hearing the word, he will heal them. Not only will he heal them, he'll restore them and resurrect them. That's different. Resurrection is not just getting us back to where we started. It's getting us to where we should have been from the beginning. There's people who are broken here. Sin does that. It breaks people. It's sin that causes pain. Either my sin or someone else's sin. But it's all sin. God says, come to me and heal you. Because I provide the water. Healing is easy. I will heal you. What does he say? Jesus says, anyone who puts their faith in me, streams gushing of water will come from their loins. Do you ever feel empty sometimes in your life? What? Sometimes I'm like, Somehow I have energy, and then I wake up to a morning like this, and I'm like, is there anything he can't do? When we were singing, I wanted to go outside and go, come out of the grave! Come out of the grave! Come out of the grave! Jesus is here! Why? Because he can do it, and he is doing it, and he will do it, and he'll do it until it's perfection. And I know I can hang on because he hangs on to me. That's the truth. Let's stand up. Mark, why don't you come up with uh, Julian? Like we said earlier, today is Baptism Sunday. I'm very excited to transition to our baptism now. Each week, I get to host you guys. I get to be give the announcements. So it was brought to my attention before we even go with baptisms that I said something during the announcements. It's a blessing for me to be able to come up here and speak with you guys. But I said we celebrate Halloween with giving out candy, and that couldn't be further than the truth. We celebrate Jesus Woo! on Halloween. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention. If I offended anybody in that way, I, you know, each week I get to come up here and I stumble over my words. I'm only human. So I wanted to, to clarify that, all right? Now let's celebrate baptisms today, amen? Amen. Amen, amen. Um, baptism, uh, you may be seated. You may be seated. Uh, baptism is a public declaration of an inward commitment. So uh, I want to explain to you just a little bit really quickly what baptism is. Um, I got married 21 years ago, and uh, when I told my wife I loved her, she told me we loved her. That wasn't enough. We didn't just stop there. Instead, we planned this big wedding in front of all our family and friends to declare our love for each other. That's what baptism is. When somebody chooses and believes in Christ at that moment, they're saved. If it wasn't true, then the thief on the cross that declared that Jesus was Lord couldn't have been saved. He had to get out and get baptized. Baptizing doesn't save you. But when you do love somebody, like Mark says he loves Jesus, then he makes the next step, and that is to believe and be baptized. And that's that's a good symbol. A marriage is almost like a baptism, that he's choosing today to follow through and let everyone know here that inwardly he has a commitment to Christ, but outwardly he wants us to support him and uh, walk him along that step. Amen? Amen. So um, Julian mentored Mark here, and so I want to start with Julian and ask him what it was like to mentor Mark. Wow, thank you, Anthony. So yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it was more like getting to know Mark. 
because it was evident, very evident to me right away that, um, that he had a genuine faith and he owned it. Uh, so, yeah, for me, it was uh, all about uh, building that relationship and letting him know uh, I'm here. Uh, I want to support you. And, uh, man, so it, it, it's uh, each, each uh, time I've, I've had this blessing, this opportunity, this privilege, it's been different. And for me, that's what it was with Mark. So um, let me ask you a question. For there's, if there's anybody out there that's kind of on their heart, God is thinking, maybe they should mentor somebody else. Well, you, know, you know, they've been baptized, but they haven't made disciples. What would you say to them, Julian? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, uh, step forward. Step up. It's a little bit of a challenge, but it's a good challenge. So, uh, yeah, I would encourage you to, to check it out. Ask Pastor Tom. Ask uh, Anthony. Ask myself. And we'll help encourage you. And the great news is you're not doing it alone. You know, you have us. And then uh, we have these great books. They're the, the First Steps book. And uh, Mark has already gone through the uh, blue book, the first uh, book with Pastor Tom. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, so I'd encourage you and challenge you. Step up. Step up. It's a good thing. Thank you, Julian. Yeah, so I want to encourage you guys. If you guys have been walking with Christ for quite some time now, it, it's time to, to make some spiritual uh, children. Amen? Amen. Now, now, uh, most importantly, what I want to do is Mark is choosing to follow Christ today. Uh, one of the reasons I know that he's choosing today to get baptized, because today is actually his birthday. Yeah. yeah. So he has two birthdays, his actual day that he's born and spiritually. How, so he'll never forget this day. I, I mean, it just gives me chills. I'm so excited for that. So I want to ask Mark right now, other than that, why is he choosing to be baptized? Now, he wrote it down. Uh, it's going to be about a minute. Uh, so uh, be patient. And uh, I'll hold the microphone as he reads his notes. He doesn't have much. but Okay. Um, so this is my testimony. Before Jesus, I was an angry, proud young man. Growing up, growing up in the Philippines, I never had a close relationship with my dad. He was uh, well, physically and verbally abusive to my mom, to my younger brother, and to myself. This is the reason why our family you know, never really had an intimate connection with each other. In terms of my relationship with, um, with God, at that time, well, I never had it. I grew up in a Catholic household, but... I never really understood the point of going to church. All I knew was that I know there's a God that we should pray to him, thank him for our meals, and ask him for whatever we want and everything we need. That's all we were ever taught of, or at least that's what I understood. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, fast forward. I had moved to the United States from the Philippines about six months after my college graduation because of a job offer opportunity. Um, I had no idea that this was also the start of my spiritual journey with, uh, with God. Little did I know that God was going to use my decision of moving here to draw me closer to him. When I arrived um, in Chicago for the first time ever, my Aunt Yasmin, whom I had also met for the first time, um, so she had picked me up at the airport and gave me a warm welcome. So Aunt Yasmin, she was the one who spoke to me about Christ, introduced me to Christ, and led me to Christ. Uh, okay, the reason I'm being baptized today, I want everybody to know, is that I love Jesus Christ and I want to obey his commands. I wanna, I'd like to quote two Bible verses because these Bible verses really speak to my heart. Uh, number one, um, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. So um, whatever you guys are facing, sometimes, you know, situations can be overwhelming. Sometimes it can blind us. It can uh, discombobulate us. Um, I just want everyone to know, this is just a reminder. I'm, I'm sure you guys already know this, that God is greater than whatever we're facing. He's going to use whatever situation, uh, problems, issues, however we think, how um, he's going to use them for his glory and for our, for the, you know, for our good, for, for a betterment. Um, so 
let us not be distracted by the problems we're facing because he's going to guide us through whatever we're facing. I don't know what you're facing, but God is great and he has a plan. It may not be easy to understand that, but he has a plan. Just keep that in mind. Number two, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. If you find yourself, if you're a guitar player, if you're a janitor, pastor, a, a nurse, uh, a doctor, or whatever you may find yourself doing, do it for the glory of God. Give all praise and glory to the Lord. Amen. 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 In the short time that I've gotten to know Mark, uh, he doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. He, Mark uh, often sees people to the end of their life. He's a, a home health care provider, so he's there speaking gospel, speaking Christ into these people in the last days of their lives. So, yeah, amen. Amen to that. Um, as they, you guys could go back there. As they get ready to get into the water, um, like I said, this is a, a very spiritual, powerful time, and it's a very intimate time. And so what I love to do is, because it's going to be so intimate and close, I love to invite you guys all to come up here and stand along the waters, but I can't do that. We got the next best thing is we got some cameras that are in the water, so they're going to show them up. Oh, no, we don't have the screen. Oh, so sorry about that then. Just... <laughs> ruined my excitement up there but but you'll be able to see them right behind here and they're going to get baptized um do me a favor and just stand up and worship and praise as the music plays and thank god uh the heaven tells us that when one person is saved all of the angels rejoice so there's a party going on in heaven right now for mark so praise him amen yes yes I'll praise in the valley, I'll praise in the mountain, I'll praise when I'm sure, I'll praise when I'm doubting, I'll praise when I'm numbered, yeah, I'll praise and surround it, cause praise is the water, my enemies drowning. As long, as long as I'm breathing, I've got a reason to praise the Lord, oh my soul, praise the Lord, oh my soul. I won't be quiet, I won't be quiet, my God is alive, how can I keep it inside? I'll praise cause you're sovereign, praise cause you reign, praise cause you rose and defeated the grave. I'll praise cause you're faithful, praise cause you're true, praise cause there's nobody greater than you. I'll praise, I'll praise that you're sovereign, praise cause you reign, praise cause you rose and defeated the grave. Praise cause you're faithful, praise cause you're true. Praise cause there's nobody greater than you. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Yeah. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. I won't, I won't be quiet. My God is alive. How can I keep it inside? Praise.
I don't, I, I know that Jesus is the focal point, but he uses people. He shares, he shares his glory with his children. He doesn't share it with false, any usurper. This team, Drew, you did a great job, and I'm grateful for being you. And you know what? This, this guy, he, man, he was faithful for a long stinking time. And God used him, and let's just, this whole team. <laughs> so let's, let's do this. What, what, what do we do here at the end? All right, get to holding. Get to holding. Sister, you're not on your own. You are part of this family. You, you can't deny us. Remember, what happens to one happens to all. When one celebrates, we all celebrate. When one mourns, we all mourn. We share in the same bread. We have the communion of Christ. One Christ, one Lord, one salvation, one spirit. We are one. Let's pray. Father God, I pray. I pray that you would take our doubts and our fears and you would turn them over in your time and in your way to absolute confident trust. Lord, I pray that we would, as your people, grow into our image, the image you want for us, in such a way that we could turn over everything to you. Things that happened in the past, things that are going to happen two weeks from now, what we do with our job, how we use our money, how we use our time. It's all yours, and ultimately we're going to see it in the end. Lord, I pray that this would be a place of revival of hearts. Christians need revival in their hearts. We've waited. This is a dry and a weary land, Lord. We're in this crazy desert. We need the water of your presence. Well up inside of us, Lord God. Gush out of us. When we're at our lowest point, Lord God, saturate us. Satisfy our thirst. Lord God, I pray if there's anyone who's believing that there's something else out there beside you, so they need you and this, prove to them. Prove to them you need me and me alone. Whatever else you have apart from me does not bring life. It brings death. Lord God, we need you. And everything that you give us, it's a blessing. Lord God, we love you. We can't wait until this place is busting at the seams because I know it's coming. I know it's coming. And we pray this with one voice in Jesus' name and all the saints said, Boom! Bang! Seated above, enthroned in the Father's love, destined to die, poured out for all mankind. All of their authority, all authority.
the blood. 